0: Welcome in to another episode here of Home Field Advantage. Hope you're all having a great week, weekend, whenever you're listening across our great country or our great land. Happy to be here. Um, hope, as I said, that you're doing well. My name is Will Hion, Home Field Advantage. Coming to you live on Instagram on a Sunday night, but hoping that you're listening on audio after the fact, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we actually are only gonna tackle one topic tonight. Gonna tackle a Red Sox season preview. See how that goes. I haven't talked baseball in forever. It's mostly been mostly been um, football and hockey with a little bit of basketball sprinkled in. So it's been a long time since. I see we've got Josh watching live. Good to see you, Josh. And we've got Roger. Roger, hope you're doing well. Happy to see you in the chat. Glad you're okay, buddy. Um, Been a long time since we chatted. We'll have to catch up. So if you're watching live, I'm happy that you're joining us. If you're listening on audio, happy to have you there too. So baseball, been a long time. As I said, hasn't really been on the front burner here um, in a long time. But the Red Sox in spring training right now. There's an international tournament going on, which we'll talk to uh, talk about, I should say, at the end. And of course, we've got um, the season itself, which is beginning in about two or three weeks. Um, so, super um, excited to lead into my preview. If you remember, I did one for the Patriots in September. I did one for the Celtics and Bruins together in October, and so now it's time to do a quick 20-minute. Uh, crash course on what I think you should expect as a Red Sox fan and Josh and Roger I don't know feel free to jump in in the chat if you want me to talk about anything else happy to divert um, as well all right so first place we should start is the arrivals and departures so clearly the team looks a lot different on paper the Red Sox of course than they did when we last saw them in September. Xander Bogarts, their de facto captain, left via free agency. He's now with the Padres. We also had Nathan Evaldi, who I believe is a member of the Mets now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I can't really remember. I think he's I think he's with the... No, he's with the Texas Rangers. That's who it is. So Ivaldi has gone too. He's with the Rangers. And then lastly, we have um, the departure of... J.D. Martinez, who is now with the LA Daughters. So those are the three big departures. Of course, there are others, um, but those were the ones that made the most headlines during the offseason. Uh, in addition, we had the departure of, um, excuse me, we had the likelihood that Raphael Devers could enter free agency next year and we could have him be on the way out but thankfully the Red Sox were able to extend him for a very long time I believe for another 10 or 11 seasons after this one so Devers will be a mainstay so that was another piece of offseason acquisition or transaction whatever you want to call it that happened Red Sox also were able to spend high on a Japanese outfielder who they got um, his name is, I, rem- I know his last name's Yoshida. Uh, yes, Masataka Yoshida. I can never remember his first name for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but they went out and they spent money on him to bring him in to seemi- uh, seemingly replace Tommy Pham, who was another one of those minor subtractions. And they were also went and um, acquired Adalberto uh, Mondesi to play second base. Um, right after we heard about the Trevor Story injury. So there was a lot of moving parts in the infield and the outfield. And then, of course, we can't forget the um, acquisition of two bullpen arms, which we'll get to in a second when we talk about the bullpen. That's Chris Martin and Kenley Jansen. Jansen, of course, the former closer for the L.A. Dodgers and somebody who has had a remarkable career in Major League Baseball. So that is some of the moves they also were able to go get uh justin turner to um combat the departure of martinez and so their lineup i guess this is a long way of saying that their lineup looks very different than it did in 2022 and for better or for worse we'll talk about it but i think there's a there's an overarching concern among red sox fans that this team while it has potential, isn't exactly deep enough to be a um, real contender in the American League. Now, of course, there's the possibility that a lot of, um, a lot of these new acquisitions fit really well and that this team overperforms. Uh, it's likely, again, that some of the members of the team that were hurt last year, like Chris Sale or James Paxton, especially in the pitching staff, if they're able to come back, I should also note the Red Sox went out and got Corey Kluber late in free agency as well. He's somebody who's won a Cy Young award. So there's a lot of like high ceiling potential with this Red Sox team. But I think the fear, as I've said, is they just might not have the depth and the uh, major league like prowess that they've had, you know, even as recently as 2021. Um uh, When they had, you know, Devers and Martinez and uh, Schwarber and Bogarts in the middle of their lineup down the stretch. I'm not sure that you can expect a similar lineup this year. Um, But, you know, I've been wrong before about the Red Sox. I mean, anybody listening or watching understands that. So, first things first. When you're dissecting what you think a baseball team is going to look like. We've talked about the additions and subtractions. The first thing to me in, that will determine how good a baseball team is, doesn't matter what level, right? Um, those baseballs behind me, those most of those are from when I was, you know, this tall. Um, and on those teams, the most important thing was pitching. And that remains true at the Bengal League level. There is no greater strength of a team than it's starting pitching. Strength or weakness, I should say. If your starting pitching is suspect... At best, then you aren't going to go far. Uh, we saw that last year. There was a time, late June, early July, um, when the Red Sox were decimated with injuries, and they were basically rolling out a AAA rotation. No disrespect to guys like Connor Siebald or Josh Winkowski. Um, solid players. Um, but at that point in time, the the roster was not a big league roster, and especially the pitching staff was not a big league pitching staff. So with this season in mind, it's important to understand that this Red Sox pitching staff contains a lot of veteran players. But at the same time, it also contains three older injury prone hurlers. So with that in mind, there's a lot of There's a lot of gray area, I guess, is where I'm going with this Red Sox uh, rotation, right? You obviously have Chris Sale at the front. We know what Chris Sale can be. The question is, he hasn't pitched a significant amount of innings in four years due to injuries and the pandemic and everything else. So for the Red Sox, Chris Sale's health and durability is probably the number one factor in this pitching staff, by and large, including the bullpen. But even more so than that, they have James Paxton, another highly regarded left-handed pitcher who at one point was a Cy Young candidate, just like Chris Sale has been perennially. Beyond that, Corey Kluber. All three of those guys are on the wrong side of 30 and have had durability problems. In their careers Kluber not as much he's actually been pretty um, pretty steadfast uh, I think I believe there were a couple seasons where he did miss some significant time but most of, most of the time he of the three has been the healthiest uh, I don't know how long it's been since Paxton pitched in a big league game my guess is almost as long um, as Chris Sayles since he pitched you know, consistently at the level. So between those three, there's a significant amount of question marks with regard to health, durability, and dependability. Now, if all three of those guys have solid seasons, and then you factor in a guy like Nick Pavetta in the mix as your four, if Nick Pavetta needs to be your four and not your two or your one, like he was at some points last year, then you're in good shape. It also allows you to be flexible with a guy like Garrett Whitlock, who you're not sure Whether or not he's going to be a starter or reliever. Now, they talk, this has been a discussion that we've been having in Red Sox Nation for, what, two, three years now about what the heck we're going to do with Garrett Whitlock. It seems like the Red Sox are leaning toward having him be a starting pitcher. Um, That's been a debate. Um, and that's not been something that they've stuck with one way or the other. There have been times where he's been a starter. Last year, he started a handful of games, but the year before, he was primarily a jack-of-all-trades relief pitcher. So with Whitlock, you're not really sure what you're going to get in terms of his role, but what you do know is he's a guy that has strong upside no matter where he fits in the pitching staff. But again, like the others, he's a guy who ran into some injury problems last year. Uh, then the other two guys that have been rumored to be part of the mix in the starting rotation are, uh, Winkowski and Bale. So Bale has, I believe, run into a few, uh, injury problems of his own. You're sensing a theme here, I guess. Um, and Winkowski's is still very young, but each one of those guys, I think could find room in the rotation, both right-handers, which helps considering that both Sale and Paxton are left-handed. Um, and with those guys you get somebody who's younger who has more mileage on their arm right like right now the Red Sox pitchers are either like very old and injury prone or young unproven and injury prone Um, so there's a little bit of uh, there's going to be a little bit of musical chairs I guess in the starting rotation from where I see it which is okay if you have options right? Like they've got they've got seven guys. I'm looking at the depth chart right now. They've got seven guys who they project to be rotation eligible players. Um, now we've seen the Red Sox roll with a four-man rotation and have openers and have a bullpen day um, in the recent years. Now, hopefully we don't have to go that far. Hopefully the Red Sox stay healthy enough and are contending where we don't feel like we need to do that. Um, but But really the starting rotation has... A really, like, I'd say mid to high ceiling, but it also has a really low floor. Because let's say a guy like Sale gets hurt again. Let's say Pavetta doesn't have a good year. does not bounce back from an up and down year last year. Let's say Whitlock doesn't really fit as a starting pitcher long term. Let's say Kluber shows his age. Uh, let's say Paxson can't get on the mound. Next thing you know, you're right where you were 10 months ago when we're trotting out guys in a series against the Yankees who... I mean, just aren't major leaguers. So I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that um, that the team is able to navigate some of these things. Um, Taylor, if you're still in the chat, love to hear what you think as well. Um, okay, moving on to the bullpen. Now, much like the starting rotation, the bullpen is a catalyst of how good a team's going to be. Because once you get into those high, quote unquote high leverage situations, it's not really about, you know, what happened in the previous six innings. It's what you can, what you can uh, navigate the game late, you know, what you can do to navigate the game uh, as the innings, you know, progress into the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning, All right? Can you keep the game close? Are you going to let the game get broken open? Like, You know, you're going to give your offense some time to wake up. Like the bullpen is super important. And I know I'm not, you know, spilling any secrets here. My one concern with the bullpen is that beyond Kenley Jansen and Chris Martin, there's not a lot of veterans in this uh, bullpen. Now, you know, I think Ryan Frazier's had a interesting Red Sox career to, to say the least, right? He's a guy who the Red Sox have tried to get rid of, haven't. Kept around, moved up and down. He's had a he's had a very volatile last few seasons. But with with this Red Sox bullpen, I see as I'm looking through here more question marks. Zach Kelly, very young, has upside but still very young. John Schreiber did well in spurts last year, but um I wonder about his his. Uh, Durability, you know, given the way that he throws the ball and how much he threw last year. Tanner Houck, same thing. Run into injuries um, in uh, in his, I believe last year he ran into some injuries. And the way that he throws the ball and the stress that he puts on his arm. That's another guy that you're a little bit worried about. Uh, Jolie Rodriguez I like. I think he's going to be somebody with high upside. We need a lefty. Um, Darwins and Hernandez didn't work out, did not, you know, end up being the lefty reliever that Cora and, uh, Dave Bush wanted him to be. So with that, I think Jolie Rodriguez gives you a little bit of upside there. I do like him, um, sort of, uh, you're not really expecting a ton out of him. So anything you can get that's positive, it's going to be a, um, you know, a really, uh, good asset for this bullpen. Uh, Rich Blair. Not really, uh, not really sure what we're gonna get out of Rich Blair. I'm looking at his age here. I forgot. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that's on the other side of uh, on the other side of 30 as well. He's gonna be 35 in April. Um, you wonder about a guy like him and Martin and Jensen and how much how much taxing there will be on their arms uh, throughout the year. And so there's there's a few. I wouldn't say question marks. I would say more like unknowns, which I guess is a question mark. I don't know. I feel like the term question mark, and i have already thrown it around a lot. Um, the unknown is not necessarily. So with a question mark, I say, like, we know what the polls could be, but we aren't sure which way it's going to go. Like a guy like Nick Favetta's is a question mark, right? Like, is he going to have a good season like he had in 2021? Or is he going to be up and down like he was in 2022 where he, like, could not perform against the AL East? I would hope that he is the former. So that I would I would classify a guy like Nick Pavetta as a question mark. A guy like, you know, Rich Blair is more along the lines of an unknown, right? Like, I'm not really sure what we're going to get. Um, I didn't watch a lot of him pitch last year, uh, and so therefore, it's very unknown. Whereas like I saw what Nick Pavetta can be on both ends of the spectrum. So I guess that's where I'm going with that. Um, and then we've got some other guys. I'm looking at the depth chart now. Wyatt Mills, Norwood, Goodino. I'm not going to pretend to be experts on those guys. We'll see what happens. I guess the best news when you're talking about the bullpen is they do have a bona fide setup man and a bona fide closer, really for the first time since two thousand eighteen, so that's a good sign. So I'm in with that and and you know there's a couple names that you don't see right here, right? You don't see Matt Barnes as a member of this bullpen for the first time in a long time, and you know you don't see um, you don't see. Oh man, what was that guy's name? Oh, I, for- I can picture him. I can picture him. I can't forget him. Or I can't remember him. Um uh, man. Sawamura. Yeah, you don't see Sawamura as part of this uh, this bullpen either. So there's a few names that just aren't aren't there. Now, if you expand the roster and you look at the 40 man, and you look at some of the pitchers they have there, um, it does open up a little bit, right? That's where I would really like to see a guy like Whitlock join the bullpen right? That way it helps. You know, you've got uh, you've got um, Cutter Crawford who could be a swing guy. He could be a starter if you need him, a spot starter, or he could come up and join the team as a long reliever. So when you expand the roster to 40, man, they do have options. It's just a little bit troublesome if you think about it long-term and uh, how a 162-game season is going to pan out. All right, so that's enough about the pitching staff. Moving on to the lineup. Now, we talked about the additions and subtractions. This looks a lot different than it did a year ago. No Bogarts, no Martinez. First up, full stop. That is a huge hole that you're going to have to fill in the lineup in terms of just major league hitters that, albeit didn't have great years last year, were still very good. Um, and, in you know, J.D., I think struggled last year but Bogart's still had a very good season so there are some moving and shifting um, or there is I should say some moving and shifting occurring in this lineup now with this lineup I will say a lot of it depends on Trevor's story and how injured he really is and when he can join the team now there's been a lot of conflicting reports throughout spring training and to be quite honest I've been paying so much attention to the Bruins But I'm not sure what the exact latest is on uh, Trevor's story. So I'm not going to pretend to have the inside scoop. What I will tell you is this lineup will take a significant step forward if he's able to join the team at any point in the early half of the year. So I'm going to list the lineup. And I'm going to list it the way I would construct it if I was Alex Cora. Now there's been a lot that you can read into uh, with regard to the way that spring training games have unfolded um but what I see it you know and given the fact that a guy like Yoshida's with the um World Baseball Classic right now and same thing with with you know Kike and and uh, some others I didn't believe Devers is playing for the Dominican as well it looks a little different now but my opening day lineup would be as follows I would have Yoshida lead off I would. He's he's a guy that I think can get on base. If you ask me, which guy in the lineup I believe can get on base the most, it's him. Uh, people have raved about his walk rate. People have raved about his discipline. Um, and so, for that reason, um, I I like Yoshida leading off. I like Kike batting second. I want to split up some of these lefties at the top of the order. Um, you know, Kike is a guy who sort of struggled last year to stay on the field, uh, sort of as an understatement. And so it remains to be seen how exactly um, we should, or how much I should say we should rely on a guy like Kike in the two hole. But, I mean, if he's going to be your everyday shortstop until Story comes back, ideally I would like Story in this position. But, I mean, with his injury, uh, Hernandez is the best option we have in that two spot, in my opinion. Um, Devers has been talked about of hitting in the two hole. I like him in the three hole. I like Devers batting third. I want him up with guys on base. I mean, call me old school, but I would hit him third or fourth. I mean, you don't have the luxury of having a de- You do not have a deep lineup, right? There's a significant drop-off, in my opinion, in seven, eight, and nine. A significant drop-off. And then even among four five and six um there's some there's some uncertainty there so I like a guy like Devers in the three hole I want you I want this lineup to be lengthened I don't want it to be Yoshida and Devers and then you know some easy outs to get to the bottom of the lineup I want I want structure and I want righty lefties alternating and I want um length and so Devers gives you that in the third in the third spot now, call me crazy. I want to split up Devers and Catches. I want Duval batting fourth. Um, I'm not sure where he's batted a lot during spring training. I'm, you know, not, you know, combing over the box scores at 4 p.m. during a weekday. Um, most of the time, I'm at work when these spring training games are have been happening, so I haven't combed over where he's been hitting. But if I was making the lineup, I'd put Duval. Um, in the fourth spot he's going to be playing center field most likely i think that's a good spot for him for now um we'll see if jaron duran can find his way into the lineup at some point in that center field spot but i mean he's not your ideal cleanup hitter right ideally i would want um i would want turner or cautious batting cleanup but i really want to split up some of these right or lefties. so you know you could probably flip turner and duval and have turner back cleanup but again Turner took a ball to the face last week. So it remains to be seen how long he's going to be out um, and if he'll be ready for opening day. So there's some question marks here, but I think when fully healthy, with the exception of uh, with the exception of Story, that's how I want the lineup to look at the top. And then you got Cassius at first. I like Turner at DH batting uh, sixth. And then I like Verdugo batting seventh. I just, at this point, Verdugo is not a top-of-the-order hitter. Um, he doesn't have enough pop. He hits a ton of ground balls. It seems like he's always hitting a ground ball out. Um, and I, I I just don't see enough pop in Verdugo's bat to have him uh, hit, hit, any, hit any higher than seventh. Um, and then at, at, at eighth, right now, you're looking at a situation where between Mondesi and Arroyo... Um, you know, you probably could hit a Royal Higher if you wanted to. Um, but I really want to lengthen this lineup. So I think having those guys bat in the eighth spot is healthy at this point. Um and then Maguire and Wong batting ninth. Now a lot of people want Kike to bat ninth. I get it. I understand it. Um but you know, really after the first time through, the lineup doesn't really mean anything one through nine. It's more about Who's batting after who? Who provides protection for whom? Can you lengthen the lineup by, you know, wedging guys in between other guys that are going to be in favorable spots? That's what's most important after, like, the third inning. So, to me, I like that lineup. Now, if Story comes back in a relatively quick manner, then I like Yoshida. Then I like Story playing second still. And I like Kike at short. Um, or you could flip them, I guess, and have Trevor play his natural position of shortstop, and then put Kike probably over at second where he might be a little bit more comfortable. So yeah, maybe that that would be the better um, option. Uh, we'll see what Kike's defense looks like at at short. But it, you know, if, if Trevor comes back and he's and he's able to you know play, um, you know play uh, consistently and he's on the field, and he's producing. If you have Yoshida leading off as a lefty and then then you go to Story batting second as a righty and then back to Devers as a lefty, those top three, I mean, I like that top three. That's a major league, you know, playoff contending um, top three of your lineup. Then that gives you the flexibility to move a guy like Duvall down, move a guy like Cassius up, you know, and split up some of these righties and lefties. and And you can keep Kike in the lineup and, you know, hit him later and that lengthens your lineup even more. So, so that's really what I like about this Red Sox lineup. It's if, if it's fully healthy, is that you do have options. And we haven't even talked about some of the guys that I think could make, you know, an impact late in the year, right? Like, I, I think I think a guy like, you know, Willier Abreu could get a call-up. Um, you know, I think Jaron Duran could be a bench player. I think Emmanuel Valdez could get a call-up. I think Sadeen um, Rafaela could get a uh call I mean all, of, all those three guys are highly regarded prospects um I think David Hamilton you could see him um, late in the year too on a split um, on a split he doesn't have a lot of offensive skill but he's got a lot of speed and he's very good defensively so I think those are some of the guys that you could see now there's one guy we didn't mention in the lineup and that's Bobby Dalbeck um at this point in time I I, I see Dalbeck more as a bench player. Uh, I don't think he fits in this roster right now. I think he could platoon perhaps with a guy like Cassius. Uh, Dalbeck has a little bit more major league experience so he could play um, he could play there. he could DH, um, you know, and have a guy like Turner enter the defense. Um, so there there are some options if you factor in prospects and the um, fact that the Red Sox do have some guys that are injured. And and or on the bench that do provide some wiggle room, you know. I I like Connor Wong. I think Connor Wong could be could find his way being the starter at some point. Um, And so so the position players, there there is some depth. There's some depth here, but there's not a lot. And I think that is like the one concern is if guy if more guys start to fall down and get hurt. Like God forbid, um, you know, Devers or or um, Yoshida get hurt, then, you know, your lineup takes a huge hit. Um, And look, a guy like Yoshida, his bat looks like it's translated well to this level, um, but you don't really know for sure. There could be, you know, an ironing out process. So I don't want to put too much pressure on him either. So, you know, and then you've got the Turner injury and you've got Duvall as an aging player. And, you know, there are some question marks here. Um, No doubt about it. But the Red Sox do have options, even though the depth really isn't where it needs to be. They do have options if everyone's healthy. the The big concern is if more injuries happen like they do last year, uh, this could be a season that goes nowhere fast. So that that's sort of where where I'm going. Um, one thing that I do want to talk about real quick um, is we've we've gone over the roster. What should the expectations be? And what is the best and worst case scenario for this Red Sox team? All right, so in my opinion, the best case scenario is you're the second or third best team in the division and you're in contention comfortably all year long for the AL wildcard. Preferably the first wild card, like you were in 2021. Um, that would be the best case scenario. You are a team that stays healthy and you hit on guys like like Kluber and Yoshida and Turner and that guys like Sale and Devers return to form or stay in form and are those franchise cornerstones that you need them to be. That a guy like Jensen fits well here and closes a lot of games and wins a lot of games for you on the back end of the bullpen. Those are the best case scenarios. The worst case scenarios is that none of these things happen. You get a lot of injuries and this team is last place for the majority of the year. And that the Orioles look like they're further off in their de- or further on, I should say, in their development. That's the worst case scenario. What should you expect as a fan? I said this a year ago. I think you should expect this team to compete. We're the Boston freaking Red Sox. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. All right, This is still a big market team in a big market, in a place that I think still has some fervor left with regard to its baseball team. There's no doubt about it in the last few years that the Red Sox' reputation has taken a hit. I mean, you didn't even have to look that hard to find it. In the, the winter weekend festival they had, the fans are angry. Um, and those are hardcore fans. So I I, I think this is still... A, this is still an environment where people care about the product on the baseball field. And people pay a damn good amount of money to go there and consume this product. And so we are still a big market team. We play in a historic ballpark. We have a coach that has won World Series. Um, No matter what you want to say about him, he's won. Um, I should say manager. I don't know why I've been putting, I've been using the term coach. People are starting to get mad at me. In baseball, it's a manager. I understand that. I'm a baseball guy. Um, I don't know why I've been saying that as much. But we have a manager who has won. So you should expect this team to compete. I do not think we are bad enough to be horrible, if that makes sense. This Red Sox team is not bad enough to be an unwatchable product in the month of May and June, July like it was last year. By the time Memorial Day rolled around, I knew this team was doomed last year. We are too good for that to be the reality again. That being said, as much as I think you should expect this team to compete, there is some, you know, some caution here that you should take with your expectations. As I've said, this team doesn't have a lot of depth if guys start to get hurt or if guys have bad seasons. There's there's not a lot of there's not a lot going on there. You have to you're going to have to figure out early what you've got. And so for that reason, you should have some sense of skepticism about the way this roster was constructed because there isn't a lot of depth if guys go down. Um, And so if things start to look bad, then maybe the expectations of them being a wild card team or at least competing for that wild card are too high. But I think this team is still good enough that in the month of August, they should be in the hunt. At the wild, at the between the all star game and the trade deadline, they cannot have a repeat of last year. If they're in it at the all star break, they have to stay in it long enough to be buyers at the trade deadline. If you're hell bent on creating this young core, whether that's guys like Rafaela or Valdez or, um, or, or Bayo or Winkowski or whoever you're building this team around. Obviously, it's Devers as the star and story for now. Then you want them to have experience winning, right? Like, think about how good the 2016 Red Sox were compared to 2015, because that core in the second half of 2015 won a lot of games, right? The Bogarts and Betts and Bradleys of the world in the second half of 2015... Uh, John Farrell got sick and Tori Lavella was the manager. They won a lot of games in the month of September that year. Um, and so if you're a Red Sox fan, you should expect that this team will be right there and competing. Because if they're able to win games down the stretch and they're competing, that's a way better experience for these younger players than if they're out of it you know, intangibly by the beginning of July. So that's what you should expect. You should expect this team to compete. I, I want to see a good product. This is year three of Heim Bloom. Actually, no, it's year four of Heim Bloom The third full year of Heim. It's time, it's time for Heim to show that this roster construction, albeit not amazing and not with a lot of depth, can still hang in the big leagues. He went out and spent a lot of money on guys like Yoshida. He let guys like Bogarts walk. We'll see if that strategy pays off. All right, that's my Red Sox take. I'm um, just going to close out here with a quick two-minute spiel on the World Baseball Classic. Now, I'm wearing the USA hat right now if you're watching on Instagram. I love this event. I always have. From the time I was, you know, I think nine years old when they started it. It was awesome. It's a great idea. It's awesome to see all these different countries, especially ones like, you know, the Czech Republic or Italy or Israel or Britain or some of these other places that don't necessarily have a huge baseball culture. To see them grow the sport is 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 awesome to see. My one qualm is that there's absolutely no reason why these games have to be on so late for the United States. Um, I think the, the first pitches have been nine or ten PM why why there's no reason for it there's no reason i know they're playing in arizona right but that that is a built-in air conditioning retractable roof apparatus um don't be worried about heat or daylight i mean it's going to be light out till 8 p.m now for goodness sakes pretty soon so i'm not sure why the games are so late on the east coast um like the oscars are tonight right Not that anyone gives a shit about those anymore, pardon my language, but I mean, you would think that we, we might want to bring the game start the game time earlier. We might want to have like a seven or 8 PM start, even an 8 PM start. I'd be okay with it. It's a Sunday night guys. You want, I know, I know we're not really trying to grow the game here because baseball is a good sport here, a prominent sport here, but I do always hear about how we have to attract a new audience. So maybe we are trying to grow the game here, not necessarily, obviously, in the same ways that you are in the Czech Republic or Italy. But if baseball cares so much about growing an audience, wouldn't an international tournament that basically has an all-star team, where we're the defending champions, wouldn't having those games, and I know that Major League Baseball is intimately involved in, or integrally, I'm probably intimately too, involved in this tournament, there's no reason why you can't have the game on at 8 p.m. We do not have to have a 10 p.m. first pitch. We don't. It's unnecessary. Um, Especially in a pool that includes Canada and Mexico, the two countries we border. Right? like We're not trying to accommodate anyone's time here. This is Canada and Mexico. We share a continent with these teams. Can we have games that aren't at... 10 p.m., 9 p.m. on a on a Sunday and Monday night. So that's my one complaint. I am happy though that this tournament is occurring again. I think it's great for the sport. I love it. Always have. But I just remember in 2017 that the games were on at like 8 or 9 p.m. I I don't know why they're on at 10 p.m. I I I I don't get it. Um, so that's my one complaint so far about the World Baseball Classic. Maybe once we're out of pool play and there's less games going on globally, uh, maybe the time, time starts will get better. Hopefully the, the US can get out of the group, but they got a good start last night, beating Britain. So we beat Britain at baseball, but Britain couldn't beat us at soccer. So just, I'll leave you with that thought. Um, hope Prince Harry enjoyed the game. All right, that's gonna do it for this episode of Home Field Advantage. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another episode, um, probably next Sunday. Uh, or who knows what we'll talk about. I mean, we'll ha- have some more time for some World Baseball Classic talk. If you haven't already, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts, including our YouTube channel um, and here on Instagram at HomeFieldPod. And make sure to like, share, and subscribe to this program wherever you get your podcasts. But until next time, my name is Wild, and you've been listening to Home Field and If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to check out some of our other programs on the Sportland USA Podcast Network, including Make and Fire, a Survivor Podcast, Filling Up with Kyle Diesel, and the Dear Go Daily News. All these programs are produced independently under the Sportland USA Podcast Network, and the views expressed on them do not reflect those of any other company, outlet, person, or entity.